It is well known that my species has the ability to sense the coming of death. I do not sense it today. I may not have all the answers. However, I do know that I am surrounded by a team I trust. The finest a captain could ever hope to command. Lorca abused our idealism. And make no mistake, Discovery is no longer Lorca's. She is ours. And today will be her maiden voyage. We have a duty to perform, and we will not accept a no-win scenario. You have your orders? On your way. I Welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show, your place for a detailed analysis of each episode of Star Trek Discovery. Now here are your hosts, Sean Ray and Rick Tatro. Hello everyone and welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. My name is Sean Ray and tonight we're going to be discussing the 13th episode of the first season of Star Trek Discovery. It was titled... What's past his prologue, it was written by Ted Sullivan and directed by, let me see if I can say it, <laughs> Olatunde Osansami. And uh, this is his, actually his second episode to direct. He also directed The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. But uh, joining me tonight is a guy that will not accept a no-win scenario, my co-host Rick. How are you, sir? Kobayashi Maru! <laughs> and also the co-host of uh, Cosmic Potato and the host of Captain Game Show, John Irons. How are you? I am well, sir. Thank you. How are you? Doing good. And uh, returning to the mic is uh, our couple of friends of the show, Scott Madison. How's it going, sir? I'm where I need to be. This is my place. <laughs> <laughs> and Richard Smith. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, thanks, Sean. How are you? I'm doing good. So what, let's just do what we normally do, and we'll go around the circle, and everybody can give this episode a thumbs up, thumbs down, or give it a score, however you want to do it. Just get a, a general overall view of how everybody felt about this episode without going into uh, spoilers just yet. So I'll, I'll start with you, Rich. What would you think about this episode? This episode blew my tiny little mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought the last one did, but this one really did. So, yeah, I, I we would we would just sat in silence with our mouths open, <laughs> just watching for forty five minutes. It was incredible. Okay, Scott, what do you think? Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, it didn't it didn't blow my hair back the way I I was kind of hoping that it would. Uh, which is not to say there was anything wrong with the episode. Um, it just, I, I think it, it threw some season finale esque, uh, uh, developments and turns that I wasn't expecting quite yet. Cause we have what another two episodes left in the season. Yep. Um, so a couple things happened that I wasn't expecting, uh, to see, 
for another episode or two. Um, but overall, it was it was still a great episode. It was a lot of fun and uh, some of the most enjoyable uh, fight sequences that we've gotten all season. Yeah, I kind of got the feeling it, it felt like a like a season finale to me too. I think that if they if they had put some stuff in there about Ash and Laurel, this very well could have been a season finale and and left us on a cliffhanger for season two. But so I'm very interested to see what's going to happen in the next two episodes. John, what do you think? I liked it. It and um, it sounds like the the thing that kind of bugs. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I appreciated it. Like, you know, like for weeks and weeks, we've known where things were going and, you know, we basically been waiting for reveals to be revealed. And I feel like this is the first week in a while where I can actually just kind of sit back and enjoy the ride without, okay, I guess I got to do this. They got to do that. They got to do this. Um, the, all, that was already done. And the stuff that I thought that, again, was going to take another two or three episodes to resolve, they just, they, they just finished it. I love that. Yeah. I love that because it keeps me get, it keeps me on my toes. All right, Rick. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, remember how last week I was not happy. I was not a happy camper. Um, I was get out of here. <laughs> I was fed up with being in the mirror universe, and it looked like once we once we found out for sure that Lorca was mirror Lorca, that uh, uh, all of this was going to go into the. Uh, Gee, everything you just saw for the last uh, season didn't ultimately count. Uh, this episode, I am happy to say, blew all of that away. Uh, they did exactly what I needed them to do. Uh, I think that once we get to what Scott was talking about, I think you will find that you and I are on uh, slightly opposite sides of the fence on this. Um I think if this had been a season finale, I and a lot a lot of people would have been very upset given how long it's going to be till we get season two. Um, great fight scenes, although I am impressed with Michael Burnham's ability to start a fight with 100 guns pointed at her and never get hit because she's done it like four times now. <laughs> yeah, She was trained by G.I. Joe. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I loved this episode. This was fabulous. Michelle Yeoh is just watching her work is such a joy. Uh, and the whole cast was great. Um, I'll get into specifics later on. But yes, I'm very happy with this episode. I was happy that I was wrong about it being a time travel episode. Because like I said last week, anytime that I see the word past or future or anything like that in a Star Trek title... I automatically assume it's going to be a time travel episode, and this wasn't, and uh, and I was I was happy for that. <laughs> it did. I don't know if it if it was actually a short episode or if it just flew by really fast for me because there was a lot going on anyway. Um, but I was trying to take notes while I was watching the show, and I got almost three fourths of the way through and realized that I hadn't written anything down in a while. <laughs> so of course I had to go back and watch it again. <laughs> but. Uh, Okay, uh, John, have you have you got a uh, plot summary for us? Kinda. Kinda. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, discovery delivered, and not like snail mail standard ground delivered. This is like <clears throat> this is like Amazon next day air type shit. 
The past few episodes, I've raved about the pitch-perfect pacing on the show and how they've managed since coming back from the break to attain the perfect balance between the velocity of fan theory and the gravity of the story they so masterfully unfold. A perfect orbit, one could say. <clears throat> the Lorca question? Answered. The Emperor question? Answered. Stamets in the mirror? Answered. Is Saru delicious? Answered. <laughs> now we finally get to that glorious open canvas where I'm all cut up and I know everything I need to know and I just get to sit back and watch the crew of a Starfleet vessel solve an impossible problem by the skin of your teeth. Finally, nerds, this is your daddy, Star Trek. <laughs> and uh, also I'm going to read a letter that I wrote a little while ago because I feel that it's relevant. Dear Santa, <laughs> could I please have an amazing fight scene in a throne room where principal characters from my favorite sci-fi ch- franchise kick ass in a benevolent, violent, in a beautiful, violent free-for-all? Signed, John. <laughs> and this is what happened. Because I didn't specify a franchise. We got Star Wars, we got Star Trek, and you're all welcome because I was a very good boy. <laughs> it's funny you say that because at the, at the moment when they, they decided on their plan, I just turned to my wife and I said, did they just plot to blow up the Death Star? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> okay. This I this this episode. Speaking of fights, I have to say this episode had um, it it has to at the very least tie for my fa- my favorite uh, individual moment in a Star Trek hand to hand fight scene. Uh, there's an, an a moment in this episode as well as a moment in uh, the season three episode. Uh, I believe it was end game for uh, enterprise. Okay. Uh, Archer versus the um, Zindi reptilian uh, boss battle. We'll call it <laughs> uh, <laughs> when, when the guy realizes that he has uh, a bomb stuck to his back. And you see Captain Archer just kind of look at him, hold up the remote control, and then calmly turn behind the pillar and hit the button. <laughs> Perhaps my favorite moment of Enterprise. But uh, this episode matched it with um, uh, the Emperor fighting Lorca in that big throne room. And it's it's a combination, not just uh, the move that she uses, where they're facing each other, and she kind of... I don't know what you call this particular move in a fight. I'm sure it has a name, but where the upper body bends forward at the waist and the kick that she delivers, instead of coming forward, it goes behind her. It's a vertical kick that goes straight up and kind of hooks over, um, over your head, like a scorpion tail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it gets him right in the face. And not only did she use that maneuver, but they just threw that in the background like it was so cool yet didn't even matter at the same time. <laughs> you, know, is it, you know how badass she is? She'll do this stuff in the background. You might even miss it. Better watch yourself. <laughs> Back and watch it again. Yeah. I just checked. The episode was a total 43 minutes, but that includes the teaser at the beginning. Not teaser. They didn't really have a teaser. There was no teaser. Yeah, they just did the previously on Star Trek and then the uh, opening credits. So, really, this episode was only about 39 minutes long, something like that. But they packed a lot in there. Um, Let's start from the beginning. 
Uh, Lorca's crew. It's a very good place to start. Yeah, <laughs> Lorca's crew <laughs> is released from their agonizer booths. They've been in there for over 200 days, being tortured. Well, I can't imagine that. Um, Commander Landry is there. Uh, Can I just say that Rika Sharma? I just this this is repeating myself. I know, but I think this is an important uh, sentiment. Rika Sharma. It should be legislated that she must be in all. TV shows and movies. <laughs> she did great in this episode because I think that the the last time that she really had a big part in an episode was the episode where she died, which was like episode three or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> yeah, but but uh, even then, I mean, I think that her performance in this episode, which in that episode basically all she had to do was get killed. <laughs> this episode, you know, they actually gave her some stuff to do, and she, I think, she did a great oh, job. Shit. Um, Please tell me we can kill him now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, she thinks that they should withdraw and that they don't have a chance. But he tells her, of course, he has a plan. I went to a a different universe. You don't think I came back without a plan? (laughs) Something like that. So uh, he captures Mira Stamets because Mira Stamets is kind of cloaked in the the engineering room. And and, uh, Lorca kind of starts to tell the story of what happened, how he got to the uh, Prime Universe in the first place. He was planet-side when the Baran had been attacked by the Emperor, and he beamed back to the ship, but a nearby ion storm caused him, caused him to cross over. And, uh, and now... Damn transporters. Yeah, yeah. So he, he basically time. got to the Prime Universe the same way that Kirk got to the Mirror Universe ten years later. <laughs> but um, I think it was an ion storm both times, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In Mirror Mirror, yeah, it was an ion storm. But, uh, so, alright, so what do we think about what they did with um, Lorca from the beginning here? Because we, we we talked a little bit last week where we didn't know if they were going to go full-on villain with him or if they were going to turn him into, like, an anti-hero or something. But he, they went full villain with him. He Like, he's the bad guy. So, uh, what do everybody yeah, think about that? I, I guess I... I don't think I have a preference either way. I guess I like it because it simplifies things. You know, it it, it it removes the moral ambiguity of whether or not you should root for him once it's like, oh, no, he's bad. He's, he's, he's not trying to bring, like, Federation rules. He's just trying to be the new emperor. Yeah, he's bad. You can kill him now. That's fine. <laughs> I, I found it my probably my only complaint about the episode <clears throat> is once Lorca became... <clears throat> Excuse me. Once Lorca became strictly mirror universe Lorca, he he stopped being interesting and just mm-hmm. became the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I don't want to say that that Jason Isaacs did a did something wrong, but there was there was so much more nuance and subtlety to Lorca as trying to pretend to be real or our Lorca. Um, and I, you know, I enjoyed watching him play a lot more than once he just was like, all right, now I'm bad guy Lorca. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to be this kind of straight line as opposed to this, you know, it, it's like the difference between a computer generated tone and a tone played on a piano with all the harmonics. It's still the same note, but one's a lot more interesting to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I 
I get the feeling that they that some of that might come down to the writing um, and not just his performance. Um, because I, there was a point in this episode where he gave some lip service to wanting to, you know, bring peace uh, to this world or to this universe. Um, now, what was that just a line? Did he think that he'd be able to sway uh, Prime Burnham with that? Or does he actually want more peace and less um, uh, tyranny well, from, from, from the Terran Empire? It, it's hard to tell, and we didn't really get the chance to, to find out what he wanted. But I think he wanted peace through tyranny. Right, right. Genghis, Genghis Khan style. I think that the people that True are enough. fighting with him think that they want peace. They want to overthrow the Emperor because they think that he's going to be a better ruler than she, would, than she was. But... They don't realize he's probably going to be worse, <laughs> worse than she was. Because, and I think that a lot of, a lot of uh, Jason Isaac's uh, portrayal of, I think he was waiting for this episode. I think he really wanted to be the bad guy. So when we, when they got to this yeah. episode, this is his sandbox. Now he can be the bad guy, you know. So, Rich, he, gonna... he definitely played it deep. He he was a bit he was a bit mustache twirly in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Once they revealed, oh, he's from the Mirror Universe. Well. Time, you know, who needs any of that uh, good guy pretense? We're just gonna, we're just gonna be bad, bad guy the whole time, which I don't think was necessary, but it's, it's how they played it. Richard, we're kind of talking all, all around you. What do you, what do you think? Um, I'm actually still having trouble accepting that it's really happened <laughs> because I've, I've spent the last week in denial. Um, <laughs> I kind of, what we'd come to the conclusion to is that. They would just take us on a ride. It wasn't Mary Universe Locker. It was regular Locker. And they've just set these things up so that we think that for a week. And then when they followed through on it, I, I, I was just stunned. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still reeling from, so he's not the captain then. What, what, what happens now? Um, but I, I agree with what Rick was saying. Yeah, he became instantly less interesting the second he became full evil Locker. Yeah, um, and, and and I think that that was still part of. So I I really liked him as the captain, and I I think it's they they did a good job of making him likable and also dislikable at the same time. Um, I, I I I felt like he was a good captain, but then to find out it's just all lies, and it, it still raises so many questions. Where's where's original Locker? Dead. Is he dead? Yeah, I'm that assuming, was I'm probably he's dead. Nobody ever actually said it, and we haven't seen his body or anything like that. But um, I'm assuming he's dead. But you know, it's it's sci-fi. He could come back. I don't know. I think I, I think he is as dead as Mirror Universe Lorca could make him. Yeah, yeah. So if if he was able to kill him, he killed him. I think that there was one one throwaway line in this episode that uh, gave an indication that uh, the ion storm and the torpedo from uh, the Sharon that caused him to move from the mirror universe to the prime universe. I think that there was one line that indicated it was a swap. So I think prime Lorca showed up on the Baran as the emperor destroyed it. So I think that prime Lorca died on the mirror Baran. Uh, Jason Isaacs tweeted 22 hours ago, in reply to a tweet that said, is anyone ever dead in Star Trek? Anyone ever really dead? To which Jason Isaacs replied, yes, yes, me. 
I've kicked the bucket. I've shuffled off my mortal coil, run down the curtain, and joined the bleeding choir. I am an I am an ex captain. <laughs> Captain's costume for sale. Size extra small. Fits bloody nobody. <laughs> but so there you, you go. can't believe anything Jason Isaac says at this point because <laughs> he's been lying to us for the last four months. <laughs> so um, I suppose well, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything could happen. Well, he orders Stamets to show him the bioweapon that he's been developing for the Emperor, which he immediately uses to kill a whole bunch of people. <laughs> and, uh, which is, which is kind of, this weapon is kind of based off the spore technology, right? Am I, did I understand that right? No. No? We don't, we don't know. We just, we just saw the aftermath. We didn't yeah. see it happen. Yeah. Just it, said it was it, a bioweapon. I don't, there was so no... I, <laughs> I thought I always I presumed it was like the um, like the beta test for the what what do you call the thing that's in Kirk's quarters? The, the little Tantalus field. Is that what it, the thing that kills? Yeah. Like you zoom it. Yeah, the Tantalus field. I figured it was like the first version of that. No. It looked it looked to me like it was nerve gas because you saw a hallway yeah. full of people with a whole lot of smoke in the hallway and they're foaming at the mouth and yeah. twitching and dying. Melting. It looked like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But. No, the Tantalus field is, uh, they say in Mirror Mirror that it's something that Kirk found on an alien planet. Uh, it wasn't It wasn't an R&D thing. It was a, hey, I found this, and now I'm going to become a god with it. Kind of like the Defiant. Yeah. <laughs> Which I told you all that was a red herring. Ha ha ha. <laughs> well, the season's not over yet. <laughs> because, I mean, you still got the fact that the, I mean, we'll get into it later, the ISS Discovery is still in the Prime Universe, so I, you know, we don't we don't well, really know exactly what's going to happen we, there. But and, we don't we don't know that for sure yet. <laughs> there may know, be pieces of it still in the Prime Universe. <laughs> well, I, uh, th- th- and this is jumping forward, but you know, they showed a scene in After Trek of next week's episode, and uh, we're uh, Cornwall and is it Cornwall or Cornwell? Cornwell. 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 And Sarek beam onto the Discovery, and they are very apprehensive about the people that are on that ship. <laughs> yeah, they, like they like we don't know who you are yet. You know, just chill out for a second. <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely anticipating uh, the ISS and the USS Discovery having team up to battle the Klingons while working out a way to travel uh, nine months back in time. Maybe. I think the ISS Discovery is on the Klingon side myself. Oh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that. Let's talk about this episode first. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Michael warns the Emperor that uh, Lorca is trying to bait her and uh, she needs to contact the Discovery. He's a master at that. Yeah. Giorgio orders her... Shame on you, Rick. <laughs> Orders her to be taken to the brig, but Michael fights back and she escapes into the Jeffrey's tubes or something. Um, Discovery is on its way, and the spore drive is active again, even though the spores are dying and 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 uh, it may not be that useful. They only have a limited supply of spores at this point. And uh, Stamet says that the Emperor's ship is pulling energy from the mycelial network which will eventually collapse the network and destroy the entire multiverse. And this kind of made me cringe a little bit because I've said on, on Cosmic Potato before that I don't really like it when the entire universe is at stake. 
<laughs> in a story because <laughs> I mean it's kind of the go-to thing. Well, you know, in superhero movies, well, the whole world is at stake, <laughs> you know, and this is like not just the not not just the universe, but the entire multiverse. All living things are gonna die if we don't get if we don't fix this. You know. you know, it's not the first time Star Trek's done this. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and and what of Lazarus? Right. Anyone get that? That's an episode, right? And what of Lazarus? Sure. Yeah. 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 T O T O S. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> Giorgio, Giorgio tracks Lorca, and they get into a huge gunfight in the uh, pew, pew, pew. in the hallway and. I liked this gunfight because they didn't just do the classic thing of this side's got phasers and this side's got phasers and they're just different colors, but they do the same thing because these phasers did different things. You know, if, if, if Giorgio's uh, phasers hit you, you got a hole in your chest and you died. If Lorca's phaser hit you, you completely disintegrated, you know, so it was, it was a cool, uh, difference in visual styles between the between the two sides. I, I thought that was a that was a good touch. But and yeah, I, I was I considered that special effect to be uh, uh, a, a visual reference, kind of a throwback. Because imagine uh, Star Trek II uh, when Captain Terrell fights against the Seti eel in his head, and he turns the phaser on himself, and he pulls the trigger, and he he's swallowed up by light, and kind of you know just disintegrates into flecks of light that float a little bit and disappear. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a, a much more advanced version of that, but it was essentially the same the same result, the same effect. Yeah. So they're paying attention to what happened to people in old um, you know, TOS Trek and in old classic Trek movies. Uh, the special effects designers for Discovery pay attention to what happened to the, those guys, and they're doing their own... Uh, modern special effects spin on that, which I I was really enjoying that. It's also a great way to have one less actor on shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's a great way of doing it. Oh, he exploded. He, he doesn't need to be lying there until lunch. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> which is basically the same on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's why the the Dracula. Uh, I mean the uh, vam- the Draculas, the vampires. <laughs> why the vampires would uh, would disintegrate after they got killed because they didn't want just bodies laying all over the place. It's easier that way, isn't it? Yeah. It just it's just so much quicker and cleaner. Well, unless unless you stood next to the exploding person, but you know. <laughs> right. And uh, and Lorca proves again, you know, he's not beyond uh, sacrificing one of his own crew to make because he sent the what's her name? I don't know her name. The engineer. He sent her out there, and she was like, "Yeah." She told Giorgio, "Well, he wanted me to come out here so that you would know that he's here." And then she like gets blown. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's like, yep, he's here. (laughs) And then machine guns come out of the wall, which was a which is a, a nice touch too. So. I I like that um, a character in the Emperor's position uh, was able to prove that she is she has earned her reputation in battle. She's got that uh, that force field that that jumps up uh, in front of her. You know where to come from? Don't know, but it was there, and she wanted it to be there. Uh, that <laughs> saved their skins for a minute, and she deployed those uh, hidden phasers in the wall she she knows how to defend herself against an ambush and she has things already in place for it rather than walk into a hallway and then just 
get shot down, which you got to know that's going to happen, but she's prepared for it. We don't always see that. But then she also runs away from the fight and leaves her leaves her partner standing there fighting, and she just beams away. <laughs> Which well, that's what people are for. What, why are you going to have people if you're not going to make them stay behind and fight and die while you run away? It was just a it was it was a, a harsh difference between her in that scene and her later in the episode when she wants to go down with her ship. You know, well, you didn't feel that way before. <laughs> you beamed away. Uh, and you wore a bracelet that covers your life signs and, and things like that. But tactical retreat. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was disappointed that we didn't see the fidget spinner of death again. I was, I, I was just gonna say it's such a shame she didn't use that fidget spinner again. Yeah. I was like, she's right yeah. there. You're right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole room of people in the blink of an eye. What are you doing <laughs> fighting with a phaser? Just get, whoosh, gone, everybody. Did, did I, I you actually did, did, have a, qu- a question about the Michelle. Yo, fighting bit, and I think I know. I think you'll all know what I'm talking about. And I just say, was that really her foot, or was that a stunt foot? I'm sure uh, it was her foot. It was. Her I think foot. it, it was just didn't get foot. as close. I don't think it got as close to Lorca as it looked like it did. That's the. <laughs> well, no, because then she'd have actually just kicked Jason Isaacs across the room. But <laughs> I, I think, I, I, I think that was her foot. I have if faith anyone in could it, have that been. it was her foot. Yeah, well, yeah. she's very skilled in the in those uh, techniques <clears> and <throat> things. You know, she's done plenty of that in in movies before. So yeah. Well, well I gotta I, give I, her credit for fighting like that, wearing a rigid breastplate, because yeah. those things really hamper your movement. I uh, I, I looked her up uh, to, to get sort of the the proper information. So what is Michelle Yeoh's background? Because I, I knew she'd been in a lot of martial arts stuff and things like that. And she's a classically trained ballet dancer. So oh. I, I'd be very inclined to believe she could stick a foot there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, here is um, uh, a tale of, uh, of old Chinese cinema that uh, gives an indication of how skilled Michelle Yeoh is when it comes to fighting. Jackie Chan, um, this was from many, many years ago. Um, and I don't know what his views are today, but back then... There were a few things that Jackie Chan might have been a little bit uh, non-progressive about. For example, Jackie Chan was not a big fan of women fighting in movies. He felt that was something that you know normally men should do. It's not really women's work to do a lot of martial arts fighting in film. Michelle can fight, is what he said. Yeah. She can fight in film. She was uh. good enough... For Jackie Chan to say, whenever she wants to fight in a movie, you let her. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> well, and then we get uh, we get Landry's line where she says, "Please, can we, please tell me we can kill him now." <laughs> you know. And uh, they go to the throne room, and th- and then we cut to Michael Burnham. Michael is channeling her inner of John McClane in the Jeffries tubes. Uh, she's, uh, she contacts Discovery and she tells them that uh, Lorca is Terran and that he's staging a coup. And Stamets figures out how Lorca got them there pretty quickly. You know that uh, after, that he used the 133 jumps that he did uh, before to map out how to get back, and then he took over the control. You know, like like we said, you know, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> But Michael tells him to stay to stay away. But after Stamets tells her that the reactor is going to destroy the multiverse, then they start to make a plan. Now, also he says um, when she when she tells Saru that Lorca is Terran, 
Lorca says, well, there's no way. I, I would have known that. You know, my, my ganglia would have come out. And that's why I was like, no, no, they don't always work. We've talked about this on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I like that Saru was surprised by that. I, that he had an expectation of his... Because he knows his ganglia, as as we all do. He knows his own ganglia better than, than we do. Yeah. Uh, and for whatever reason, he thought that it would it should have worked. And that it didn't, I found that intriguing. I think that, okay, this is my headcanon. I think that his threat ganglia didn't go off around Lorca because originally Lorca did not consider himself to be a threat to them. He wanted to get home, but he wasn't planning to kill everybody on the Discovery. He just wanted to get back to his Earth and, and, and get back to his people. I mean, not his Earth, but his universe and get back to his people, but I, he was he was not a threat to them, so Saru did not pick up pick up on the threat. Yeah, the threat ganglia. Sense. The threat ganglia is not a lie detector. Yeah, it's the same reason that, that it, they didn't go off every time that he was around Ash, because Ash didn't know that he was a Klingon. He didn't know that he was a bad guy, so he was no threat at that point. Now, once once he started. Uh, going nuts and everything then uh he ca- he came onto the bridge in that episode and then saru's ganglia came out you know so he was a threat at that point so. you got a fear on <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so um let me find where i was in my in my notes here okay so uh so Lor- lorca has landry kill mirror stamets Threatens to throw him through that trap door into the singularity, but instead just shoots him in the back and disintegrates him. Uh, Lorca tries to... Chekhov's trap door. What's that? I call it Chekhov's trap door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, exactly. Chekhov's oh. um, so Lorca tries to get Michael to stay with him. Says that uh, her, her gifts surpass her mirror self. And... Uh, and then Michael tries to get the Emperor to help her stop Lorca. Tells her, you know, tell he tell she tells her about uh, what happened with Giorgio, or kind of a little bit about it. Didn't tell the, the entire story, but just let her know that she was the reason that that her mirror version had died and all that. So um, Stamets uh, theorizes that they can use their spore drive to modify their warheads to destroy the Singularity. But Tilly says that she doesn't think that they'll survive the shockwave. Now, this scene had a lot of techno babble. <laughs> okay, yeah, and actually, before you go too too much further, it's not a singularity. It's a it's it's mycelial energy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just <laughs> things like that a singularity, so I call them a singularity. I got you. It's it, just I'm I'm the pushing my glasses up on my forehead and going, oh, I mean, actually, singularity is a very different thing. Uh, <laughs> But, um, Rick, why don't you, can, can you kind of walk us through the plan? Because at this point, Stamets has kind of given his theory of, uh, of how they can, of how they can get out of there, how they can use the, uh, what they've got left of, my, of the mycelial energy to kind of ride out of there. And I mean, I understood it, but you can probably word it better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, what they realized that they, they realize that the glowing ball of plasma, whatever, in the middle of the the Charon is a ball of concentrated mycelial energy. And 
this is what's killing the mycelial network is that this ship is just sucking energy out of the mycelial network um, to power this ship, which is the size of a city and, and all this stuff. Stamets theorizes that if they shoot it, that that it will both destroy the Charon and it will also stop the energy flow out of the out of the mycelial network and allow it to heal itself. Upon further study, well, while they're all talking about this, T- Tilly's running simulations on her tablet, and she she figures out that yeah, it'll work, but we'll be too close and we'll be blown up too. And then uh, then we get. A wonderfully inspirational speech by uh, by Saru, uh, where he basically says, you know, I can tell when we're all going to die, and I'm not getting that feeling. So y'all start working on this, because there's a way to make it happen without us all dying. Yeah. Uh, and so Tilly runs more in-depth uh, um, simulations and realizes that uh, – oh, uh, hang on. <laughs> uh Oh, shoot. I forget what order things go in. First, they realize that they can't shoot through it. There's a containment field around it, and, that, and Burnham says she'll she'll take care of it. You know, Han will get that shield down. Yeah. Give, <laughs> Got to give him more time. Um, <laughs> but then Tilly realizes that even with the shield down, they don't have anywhere near the amount of power needed with their photon torpedoes to punch through all of the electromagnetic forces and gravity and technobabble going on inside that sphere. That's when Stamets says, well... If we fill the torpedoes with spores, we could do it, but it will take all of our spores to do it. And that's when they also realize that if they do it, they'll be powerless and they won't have the shields won't be able to take the explosion. And then Tilly finally figures out that if that she well, she and Stamets figure out that if they engage the spore drive and the warp drive at the same time as the shock waves from the explosion hit the discovery. The spores in that shockwave should energize the spore drive and the warp drive will basically turn them into a giant surfboard. And if they manage to stay on the leading edge of the wave, it should give them enough energy to avoid being destroyed and push them into uh, a mycelial jump. Yeah. But Stamets is going to have an infinite number of, uh, <laughs> of pathways open up in front of him, and he's got to pick the exact right one <laughs> to get back to the uh, to the prime universe. So yeah, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Very well done. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Michael brings the Emperor to Lorca and says that she will stay with him in the mirror universe if he lets the discovery go. I'm offering you my mind and nothing more is what she says yeah. because he wants her to be his queen. You know, he wants her to, to rule the universe with him, uh, as, as her mirror counterpart would have done, but she's not her, her mirror counterpart. And, uh, what do you guys, what do you guys think? Well, you, the, the re- well, the reason she says that though, the reason she offers to do that is in exchange for him, letting the discovery go right yeah um because the the discovery's on its way uh you know and they they're 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 hiding in warp space so they can't be boarded uh but they they're you know so burnham and the emperor hatched this plan 
uh, and they go there, and the Emperor pretends to be defeated, and Burnham says, all right, I'll stay with you, but you let my ship go. Uh, and then uh, he agrees, takes her phaser, and <laughs> it's like... Burnham is like Indiana Jones. Like when she when she just gets fed up with the situation, she just starts killing people with her hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lorca contacts the Discovery and starts monologuing, <laughs> and yeah. and Saru shuts it down. You know, which I gotta hand it. You know, Saru is always talking about how cowardly he is and everything, but he's like the bravest guy on the ship. He's a, an awesome a captain. A lot of times, he's a really good yeah, captain. He is a good captain. That that speech that he gave, you know, about midway through the through the episode, gave me goosebumps, <laughs> you know. But um, but yeah, so so he tells Lorca that he wants to hear it from Michael that she's staying there, and uh, when he sees Michael, she says, "I'm I'm exactly where I need to be." Basically, she had told him earlier that I'll give you the signal when it's time to start firing or whatever. And um, and she does, and he says, "Okay, that's all I needed to see." <laughs> and they start and they start uh, blasting, and then uh, Michael and Giorgio start fighting from inside, and leads into what we hinted at before, like one of the biggest hand-to-hand combat fight scenes that I've seen in in Star Trek. It was awesome. And can we take a second and talk about Saru here for a minute? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when Michael tells him over the um, over the hail that she's where she needs to be, I'm ready for you to start attacking. We're going to put this plan into motion. And he says, that's all I need to see. And then when he gives the order to uh, to fire, I can't remember who, uh, who the officer is on the on Discovery Bridge that handles that. Detmer. It, it's Detmer. Oh, no, that, oh, no, no, no. She, yeah, she's she's the helm. Right. Detmer uh, does the flying. It's uh, Joanne Owosikun. <laughs> she's the one that we saw get get blown up. Yeah, gotcha. But on the on the on Discovery, she's the helmsman. Mm-hmm. Um, it Saru had a moment that I I likened to uh, Data in uh, Redemption Part Two, Next Generation, where. Uh, Data is temporarily given command of uh, of a starship, and he's always very proper and he's always very courteous and straightforward and straight laced and dry. Until you put Data in a situation where he needs to take charge, and he needs to rally people behind him, and he starts affecting an emotion. Talking with his first officer, who has been nothing but disrespectful, and basically tells him, "You're going to do this, or I'm putting you off the bridge." And Data gets mad, and you be- you believe it yeah. in that moment. And while Saru is not faking it in this episode, it was in that moment where he's not uh, under the influence of some uh, weird Pavan, uh, uh, you know, voodoo hoodoo <laughs> but it's just saru no longer being a first officer saru's being a captain and they're running into battle and when he gives the order to fire we haven't heard saru sound like that before yeah yeah and 
it only lasted for a second, but that's the type of, you know, blink and you'll miss it moment that makes you say, I want a spinoff series that just follows Captain <laughs> Saru. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like I said, he's uh, he he's a lot braver than he gives himself credit for. You know. He's See, I I know the moment you're talking about, and I I kind of felt like that was bringing us into a, is he going to be the captain kind of moment? Well, uh, he is the captain yeah. now. Well, well, I mean, like going forward. Oh, like m- moving into season two. Do you think, like, yeah. when the when the dust settles, he'll remain the captain? Because we need a new captain now, don't we? For going forward, yeah. is that right? I, we we need yeah. we need a new captain of the Discovery. And I don't see and, any reason why he can't fill that role. I don't. I mean, I know a lot of people say that Michael will be captain or whatever. I don't see that. I don't mm-hmm. really see her as a captain, but. I see her more. I mean, in the role that she's been filling, filling, you know, she's well. That even even that's up in the air because they've done the whole talk about well, when the war's over, she goes back to jail, whatever. Well, the one guy who got her out of jail, war or no war, turns out to have been a nut from the Mary universe. Right. So, how well is this going to go for her? And unless they do some sort of going back in time, nine months, whatever. Yeah. In which case, will that bring Lorca back? Will that bring the doctor back? What will that do? I think Saru's word. If if Saru doesn't get killed, I think Saru's (coughs) word is going to go a long way toward keeping her out of jail. But yeah, I I don't see I don't see Burnham going back to prison. Um, Well, me me either. I mean, it's it's her show effectively anyway. So it's really going to be a case of how do they keep her out of prison? How does that come about? And I, and I, I think it's quite reasonable to say, yes, if Saru becomes captain of the discovery, he's going to say, yeah, I kind of need her because she's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but I could also see Saru after being captain, deciding that it's not for him and saying, no, give it to Burnham. I don't, I don't know because I, I, I kind of think like all the way through this mirror universe segment, he's been proving time and time again that the character's okay with that. He's okay with beaming the Klingon dude into the brig and saying, "Okay, you deal with him." Yeah, that's I'll, true. I'll be here if you if you want to make a phone call or anything. Uh, you know, he can make tough decisions, and and really, you have to ask yourself, you know, really, what do we think of Starfleet if they're letting just anybody become a first officer? Of course they're not. So the dude's got chops. We just need to see it, and we have yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I gotta hand it to Doug Jones too because he's able. He he did a lot in this episode of able. He's able to emote things without using his face because his face is completely covered in that makeup. So all all he can use is his eyes and the way that he tilts his head and his body mo- movements <laughs> and things like that and his voice. You know, so. He's doing a, he's doing a, a great job. I want to give a, a shout out before we move on to uh, Sarah Mit- I don't know how you pronounce her name Mitich, uh, who plays Ariam, the uh, the augmented human on the bridge. She, she finally talks. got some lines. Yeah, we finally uh, actually got to hear and, her talk a couple of times this, this episode and, and got to do some stuff, yeah. which was cool. Yeah. Okay, so I can't re- I can't remember who it was on on the Facebook uh, page for for this show. Um, that put forth the uh, the fun little theory. Uh, what if uh, the story behind the cybernetic implants for that character 
is that they were developed from uh, from found Borg technology from the uh, episode of Enterprise where they found those old Borg from First Contact frozen in the ice. And they kept some of the technology around, and that has become 23rd century cybernetics now. Yeah, no. A- anyone remember who said that? <laughs> I remember well, saying that. Of, but... of course, that's not going to be what they say, but it it's a fun theory to play around yeah. with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, okay, so they're having this huge fight, and uh, Michael when she, she faces off against Lorca, and she tells Lorca, "We would have took you home the whole time if you'd have just asked us to." But Lorca didn't want to just go home. He wanted to go home and take her with him, you know. So, uh, but but she says, you know, I'm not going to kill you. And then Giorgio says, I will. (laughs) (laughs) And runs it through with her sword. (laughs) Which was uh, unexpected because I really expected Lorca to, if if he were to die, I thought that he would die next episode or even the episode after that. But it, it surprised me that they did it here. But they did it well, you know. It ran him through with a sword and then kicked him through Chekhov's trap door, as Scott called it. <laughs> and, uh, Actually, they, they, they used Chekhov's sword first, because I don't think anybody else got killed with the sword. Yeah, oh, that's true. And, uh, and It was too awesome a sword to not kill somebody with it. Mm-hmm. He got disintegrated as he fell towards the energy the energy ball, and uh, which was a pretty cool effect, too. But I think if I was disintegrating, if I was burning up like that, I probably would have screamed. He just kind of said, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm done. He, he screamed at the end. We it was, it was after they stopped showing us his face, but there, there, there was a scream right at the very oh, end. Yeah, okay. it, it, well, it, it, how, did you walk more than once? Me? No. It, 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 as I did, I, you know, and then the second watch, I was trying to tell if that was a scream or not. And it's, it, it's uh, it might be a scream. It might just be more of the noise from the from the the mice, ball of mycelial stuff. It's it's really kind of vague because did it did it sound like a tie fighter? No. Okay, I I heard what sounded like a tie fighter, but then it seemed to give way to um, uh, a, a trailing scream as he turned into pieces. But yeah, um, it, it... I guess I'll watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> But he was he was he was definitely not only mostly dead as he was starting to fall apart. Sure. Which was if the yeah. fighter had showed up, that would have been awesome. Like, oh, they're in that universe, and Jar Jar's the emperor. <laughs> <laughs> not Jar Jar, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so George um, Or. Yeah, George <laughs> Or. Um, okay, so the uh, so the discovery opens fire. On the energy ball, and they use the shockwave, and they travel back to the prime universe, and went and and be. But, but sorry to interrupt oh, you again, ahead. but there's something that has to be pointed out here: the beautiful use of the original photon torpedo sound effect. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, I did notice. That. Unmistakable. <laughs> uh, when they get there, um, Stamets tells him that we're back in our universe. He's talking to Saru. He says we're back in our universe, but we overshot. We're nine months in the future. I was expecting, uh, and that was when he said we over we overshot. I was, before I, he said I know. before he said nine months. I was thinking I was right. They're two hundred years in the future, but <laughs> uh, yeah, but you no, know, nine months. 
and uh that was such a whiplash effect for me i got so excited it's like what's it gonna say what's it gonna say what's it gonna say what's it gonna say <laughs> nine months son of a like, uh, Saru, we are in the next generation timeline what is the next generation <laughs> so he says uh nine months in the future and when they pull up the map uh to kind of get a get a look at what's going on with the war because there was a war going on a few episodes ago when they left uh the klingons have won basically uh and what this is headcanon again i think that the iss discovery teamed up with the klingons and they were able to use their spore drive technology to win the war that's 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 my theory what do you guys think the ISS Discovery doesn't have a spore drive. I thought they did. No. No. All of the spore technology was on the Charon. Ah, uh, never mind then. And it was being it was being used for energy production, not for uh, not for travel. But obviously, the crew of the Mirror Discovery did something because when Corn when Cornwall and 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 uh, Sarek show up later, like I said. They are. They've got phasers on everybody, and they know who everybody is. So, obviously, their mirror counterparts have been doing something. Oh yeah, yeah. They've they've been they've been causing trouble, but they don't have a spore drive. So I don't think that the discovery could have tipped the war one way or the other. They're just one ship. They're a badass ship, and they're a whole lot meaner than anyone thinks. But that's going to help them in one, maybe two battles. Um, I don't see. Well, we don't really know Captain Killy yet, so uh, I don't know. We don't know if she's the type. You know, like Lorca was able to uh, conscript other races, despite the, the the xenophobic nature that we've been told about the Empire. Um, you know, Lorca will use other races when necessary. Uh, he accuses Georgiou of being awfully chummy with other species. Uh, so maybe Captain Killy is is able to form an alliance with the Klingons, but maybe she, they were just flying around killing every ship they found. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I honestly, and that's one of the things I love about the ending of this one is I have no idea where they're going to go with this. There are so many possibilities and they haven't telegraphed any of them. Yeah. And they've got, I mean, if they're, if they're facing off against a mirror universe ship, they have a mirror universe emperor on their side. (laughs) Uh, I'm guessing that she'll be able to help them. Uh, and I'm wondering how uh, Ash and Lorel are gonna work, are gonna figure into this because we didn't see them at all in this episode, and I'm wondering how they're going to work into uh, a timeline where the Klingons have won. So if the Klingons have won, then you think that maybe they're going to come and bust Lorel out or something. I don't know. Well, and and you know, and I'm just spitballing here. We don't know that the Klingons have won. All we know is that Saru looked at the map and said, I, we must assume that the Klingons have won the war. Yeah. Because in, in, the, the, uh, in the, the next time uh, we hear uh, Cornwell say that the Klingons have ad- annexed 20% of Federation space. That's a big chunk, but that's not one. Okay. I think in, in regards to the ISS, I think it's equally likely that they've teamed up with the Klingons uh, and are helping them to turn turn the tide even more in, in the Klingons' favor, or 
the first ship they came across, the first Federation ship they came across, uh, there was when they realized something was amiss, they destroyed whatever ship was coming up to them and made run for it and have just been keeping their heads down and hiding. They've either been staying out of the way or they've been teaming up with the Klingons. Either one is equally possible, and we don't really have any clues yet other than Starfleet knows that this new discovery is bad news. Um, and the fact that it's a mystery until next week when they when they dive into it, I find that to be exciting. Yeah. Um, I, I like how the show keeps us guessing. Um, I would have liked for them to you know, take more chances and keep us more guessing. Um, when, when Stamets said nine months, I got really, really sad because they could have done anything they wanted to at that point. Imagine if he had said, but we overshot. And instead of giving us a number, if they had said, show us where we are right now. And they, they turn on the view screen. There's deep space nine. Yeah. (laughs) How mind-blowing would that have been? Be sad. <laughs> I, would have had, I, I would have had to replace my couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't but we don't but we don't know. Like that's like you just said, you know, the show has has like every step of the way, even when we predict what's gonna happen, it still takes twists and turns and moves in directions and, and lays things out and sets things up um in ways that we didn't predict and that, you know, are, are so satisfying narratively <clears throat> so I'm, I'm i'm just you know um uh as, as my man says i'm flying blind on a rocket cycle i'm just happy just happy to be here <laughs> i can't do the voice because I, I've, I've got a bit of a cold but you you know you it's in your head you know what i'm saying <laughs> richard you got any theories of what, what we're gonna see next week i have absolutely no idea I, I cannot speculate at this point. I thought I was cool with everything, and I know nothing. So I've <laughs> given up speculating. Like like you said, I'm I'm just along for the ride now. Yeah. It, what happens happens, and it's probably going to be awesome. Um. But yeah, I can't guess. I I honestly like I I didn't think it was Mary Universal Orca, and I kind of thought that was how they get out of it. But I I don't know where you go from here. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah, some of the stuff that we've uh, been able to guess up to this point, as far as, you know, well, he's the Mirror Lorca, Ash is really Valk, and, and all this kind of stuff, was kind of easy to figure out. But we've gotten to a point now where, I, I don't know, all that stuff has happened now. You know, so what's going to happen next? I don't know. <laughs> they, they've burned yeah. through all the stuff that we've been guessing about. And now they've taken us up to a point where you haven't really spent a whole lot of time, you know, formulating your theories on on what's happening with this. So you got nothing. You got nothing to go on. Well, and there's no. Well, I'm sure there's all sorts of stuff on the Internet, but like there's really they haven't laid any clues. So I know that there aren't any breadcrumbs to even go from because all of the things that we saw, you know, the road signs for. We've already passed all those exits. We're done. So, yeah. like, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's a, it's just open road ahead. Who knows? Yeah. So to to those uh, those listeners that wanted us to stop speculating, <laughs> 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 uh, 
don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so we're in the same boat you are. Okay. So I, I noticed a uh, uh, an interesting parallel. Um, any of y'all seen Rent? No. No, I haven't. No. Okay. I saw the um, movie. I haven't seen it on stage. I I, I don't I I had didn't see the movie because I did see it on stage and hated it. But uh, um. You can send your hate mail to uh, tech support rich at simply syndicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, People, uh, it's fine. It's, it's fine. becoming par for the course, Rich. We we <laughs> we know what to expect from you. Uh, yeah, I I if I hadn't been chaperoning thirty middle uh, uh, community college students, I'd have walked out at intermission on rent. Um, but <clears throat> Wilson Cruz played Angel in Rent on Broadway. And if you know the show, and I assume this happens in the movie, I don't know, but um, towards the end of the show, one of the main characters is having a, a huge life crisis and comes out of uh, after I, I don't even remember what the, the situation was, but he's all revamped and re-energized and ready to go on with life because Angel, who died two scenes previous, uh, came to him in a dream and told him to don't give up and keep fighting and all kinds of sappy, trite bullshit. Um, you really didn't like this show, did you? That's the point where I really wish I had left it intermission. <laughs> that but, was an intermission. That's the end of the show, right? I know. Girl. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is at that point, I really wish I had just walked out and like had a cigarette during the second half of the show so I didn't have to see that stupid, sappy piece of shit scene. <laughs> <laughs> Stay on, stay on topic, please. What, what oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> stay on target. <laughs> Almost there. Um, so, anyway, so Wilson Cruz plays a character who appears to another character after they're dead, after after he's dead, appears to another character to encourage him and show encourage her and show her the right way. Wilson Cruz in Star Trek Discovery plays a character who dies and then returns to help a character who's still alive to find the right way home and find the right path to where they need to go. Wasn't Anthony Rapp in Discovery? In Discovery, in, yes. um, in he, Rent as well? He was, yes. yes. Different did productions, play, though. Did, did he play a similar role to what, like, is there is there a similar parallel? No. All right, never mind then. <laughs> Thanks. <Yep. laughs> the, the only other thing that I'll, that I'll put out there... Uh, for uh, listeners who may not be as familiar with uh, Rent as as we are, um, the film, I can't remember if it happened in the film, but I was intimately familiar with the soundtrack uh, for the original Broadway production. And Angel doesn't actually appear no, as, as some type of ghost. It's the the girl who is sick her fever breaks and she wakes up and she essentially she had like a near death experience. She hallucinated that angel showed up. So it's not actually a ghost story. It's just her telling people what she thought she saw when she was really, really sick. And by the way, folks, before you do start writing me angry letters, uh, I know that ev most theater people I know and, and pretty much every actor I know, they all love rent. Uh, I am just a jaded old techie who <laughs> didn't like the show and and that's just me so i'm still not convinced that it was actually um him that he saw in the network I, I, oh no i mean I, 
I have a theory about that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, I think that, and and this is this is a bit of speculation. This is a bit of prognostication. Uh, I think the network is intelligent. The network is sentient and is aware, and that was why it it created the the appearance of uh, Hu- uh, Culber. I almost said Huber. That's a different person altogether. Uh, in order to get Stamets to do what they needed him to do, and what I'm what I'm expecting, because they have to shut down the spore drive before this show gets too far any further along. I'm expecting that the network itself is going to say, "All right, you guys are cool, but your counterparts in other universes aren't, and since we're kind of everywhere, nobody's coming in anymore." We're gonna build if a you wall. Think... <laughs> we're gonna build a wormhole to the gamma quadrant, and we're just gonna move there. Ooh, Ooh. Uh-huh. we see beyond space and time. Uh-huh. Do you think um, it is if not you, linear? If you think the if you think the mycelial network is sentient, do you think that it pulled Prime Stamets in to save it because it knew that it he could save it? Absolutely. Yeah, why not? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, the only other thing that I had as far as the title goes, because sometimes we like to uh, talk about where the titles come from. Uh, this is from what's, what's past his prologue is from Shakespeare. Is from The Tempest, Act 2, Scene 1. Uh, <laughs> Antonio suggests that uh, everything that has happened before that time has led him to an opportunity to do what he's about to do in the play. And it's also engraved in Washington, D.C. at the National Archive. So that's where that comes from. And uh, Other than that, that's all I've got. If you guys have anything else you want to throw in before we close out. I, I Go ahead, no, Sean. No, go ahead. Or Scott. Oh. That was um, me. Um, yeah, I don't mind that Lorca's dead. That's fine. Because, uh, yes, like, I agree with all of you who said that once he went, you know, full evil, he was boring. Um, but, yeah, but then they killed him, so it, it's good. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, I'm I'm I didn't say he was boring, he just became a lot less interesting. Well, mm-hmm. uh, well, he was boring. Well, you know, as, as a character, he was he was not, a, yes, he was not as interesting. Which I would say is synonymous with boring. And and they couldn't, they couldn't, he couldn't coexist with Giorgio. Like, on the show, there's no real way to have both of them. And between the two, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll take Emperor Giorgio. Because um, I feel like the Lorca chapter came to a good end. And I want to see the Giorgio chapter now. Yeah. Dark Giorgio. He really turned into, Lorca really turned into Hans Gruber there in the last, in this last episode. <laughs> you know, I mean, all the way up to, you know, there was a scene in Die Hard where Hans Gruber pretends to be somebody else. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then they, and then, uh, John McClane is able to figure out who he was. Well, that kind of, that's kind of what happened here. And then he almost died the same way. He fell, <laughs> you know, he fell and died. So I, I, I think what, has happened <laughs> at, at least for me is that with so many uh so many television series these days that are designed to be one story told over the course of the season there are certain things that you expect to be held off until 
the final episode. And for for this to happen to him now, it seems it seems early. We still have two episodes left. They this shouldn't happen until the next episode or the episode after that before uh, before he is dispatched. So I think that's why it caught me so flat footed. It's that wait already there's still two episodes left, and then I realized wait a minute, ISS in the Prime Universe still got to deal with that. And then we got to set up because this is how things work these days. We have to set up the the starting point for season two, and they want more time to do that. They don't want to take us all the way up to the last twenty minutes of the season, and then say, "Oh, by the way, we still have to deal with the ISS, which we haven't even mentioned for five episodes." They didn't want to leave it for that long, so I. Like I said, I wasn't expecting it to feel like a season finale this much, but you know, within 10 minutes of having finished the episode, I'm saying to myself, I'm glad they did, because then we can deal with this as well before the season is over. Right. And what I'd like to, to add before we run along is um, there were there were a couple of interesting things in After Track last night. Uh you know, the last week's after track was painful. I didn't get through very much of it. Uh, this week, it sure seems like somebody sat down with Matt Mira and said, "Look, <laughs> stop Calm asking the them to tell down. you." <laughs> um, but one thing they said really took the curse off of this entire season for me because, you know, my big bitch last week was that this whole season has now one has been now been turned into a mirror universe episode. And I'm not a fan of the Mirror Universe. Uh, I'm still not a fan of the Mirror Universe. But Ted, who was on <laughs> on the show last night, uh, the writer, producer, yeah. uh, he said something that I hadn't considered. And that was uh, that they wanted to go into the Mirror Universe because they wanted to do something about, you know, Star Trek has always uh, reflected the problem, you know, the troubles of its time, uh, in a way that, in the way that only Star Trek can, that, you know, by couching it in, in this science fiction world, but making it relevant and they couldn't really reflect the atmosphere that's the, 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 that's happening right now. I don't know when y'all are listening to this. If you're listening to this tomorrow, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're listening to this 20 years from now, go look in the history books <laughs> Hopefully we're that sorry. Was right. We are we are all very sorry to people twenty years in the future. I just want to. <laughs> we know. Okay. America. Yeah. When you're all sat there, when it, didn't they know? Yeah. We know. We know. It's, yeah. What What are you going to do? Is, is that, <laughs> yeah. Um. But so, and then something, Sean, that you posted yesterday was, and I wasn't going to read it because I'd seen the headline before and I didn't want to look at it. And finally, I was like. Damn it! I'm going to podcast about this. I I don't have the luxury of avoiding avoiding spoilers. Uh, unfortunately, there really weren't any. Uh, but there was a, a Twitter interview with um, oh who was it? I can't. One of the one of the one of the writers and uh, just went on to Twitter and was like, "Ask me anything." Yeah. And Ted Sullivan, and yeah. they were at Ted Sullivan. Oh yeah, same guy. Okay, Ted Sullivan from last night. And the. The, the question that really resonated with me the most was they said, 
did you always intend to go into the mirror universe in season one? And he said that uh, Brian Fuller wanted to go even sooner than they did. And after he left, uh, they decided they wanted to push it further down the road so we could get used to the characters a little bit before taking them into the mirror universe. But it was always meant to be a mirror universe show uh, this season, um, which that combined with what Ted sell what he said on, on after Trek about wanting to deal with the political climate that exists right now, in a, you know, but without turning Starfleet into some, you know, something that does reflect that the only way to do that was the mirror universe. And I had to agree with that. Um, and the other thing is just, um, you know, Rika Sharma was on last night and I don't, there, there are very few, more beautiful people on earth <laughs> than Ricky Sharma. <laughs> That's it. I thought there's no follow up. I just, just saying. I, nothing more to say. She's just, just, just an observation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I guess that's uh, that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, I want to. Okay, let me take a minute and uh, invite everybody. I, there's another podcast that we do that uh, John and Rick and I and and Scott comes on from time to time. It's uh, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. You can find that over at CosmicPotato.com. Uh, this show, of course, is available on SimplySyndicated.com, and it's also on iTunes and all the other places that you normally get your podcasts. And uh, you can sign up for Simply Everything, and you can get everything that Simply Syndicated has ever done. And how much does that cost, Rich? Six pounds a month. Well, how much is that in the U.S. dollars? No idea. <laughs> my, my, my. Actually, right now it's Hang probably on. six dollars. <laughs> six pounds to U.S. dollars. Yeah, it's eight dollars forty cents. That's it. <laughs> and we also now we have a podcast feed for simply everything subscribers that includes this show and all of the shows that we have that have ads on and they're the ad free version so you can just subscribe to that podcast and get all the simply syndicated shows without ads oh cool okay um and also you can uh, you can find us on facebook the uh we have a facebook group called the uh, simply syndicated discovery after show you can tell us what you thought about this episode, what you thought about the things that we said about the episode, and speculate on future episodes if you want. And you can also text us or send us a voicemail at area code 205-642-8380. And there is more than one person who has done that, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, if you do that, you'll be the first one to do it. <laughs> I actually got a voicemail today, but it wasn't for this show. It was for the Cosmic Potato Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and uh, uh, Rich, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks for having me, Scott. Thank you, <laughs> John. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. And Rick, pleasure as always. Long live the Empire. Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna do it for this episode. We'll be back next week to talk about this season's penultimate episode, which is titled. The War Without, The War Within, and we will see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your feedback is welcome. Leave us a comment and review on iTunes, or follow us on Facebook. 
The views and opinions stated on this program are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of Simply Syndicated, CBS, Paramount Pictures, or their sponsors. Star Trek Discovery is owned by CBS and has no affiliation with Simply Syndicated or this podcast. No infringement of copyrighted material is intended. Be sure to join us again next week as we analyze another episode of Star Trek Discovery here on Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show.